I'm definitely very bullish on the audio space. I think for years, people have you know been kind of glued, and especially over the last couple of years, really been glued to the screen. And whether it's you know an individual or an advertiser, I mean, we've just exhausted the eyes and we're moving on to the ears. So, you know, I think I think there's a ton of really interesting audio content that allows people to go deeper with the personalities and brands that they follow. So that's kind of one thing, I think, longer form, richer audio content. Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in the weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com. Do you employ or pay workers in other countries? Even if you don't yet, you might soon. Now that remote work is the norm, employees have more freedom than ever to move around. If you want to keep the best people, you have to stay flexible. That's why remote makes it easy for companies of all sizes to employ global teams. They take care of international payroll, benefits, taxes, and local compliance, so you can focus less on paperwork and more on growing your business. Remote helps you onboard full-time employees or contractors in countries all over the world in minutes on its simple, easy-to-use platform. And even better, Remote helps you rest easy by providing you the most comprehensive intellectual property protection and data security in the industry. They own full local legal entities in all their covered regions, guaranteeing you never have to deal with a third party ever. To save you money, Remote never charges any fees or salary percentages. You get access to everything Remote offers from payroll to compliance and to benefits management for one low flat rate. No hidden fees, no surprises ever. Just the best global employment solution in the business. Best of all, podcast listeners get an even bigger discount. Get your first employee free for 12 months and two months free for any additional employees onboarded during their first year. You can get 50% off Remote's full suite of global employment solutions for your first employee for three months. Just visit remote.com leaders and use the promo code leaders. Hey, leaders, welcome back. I'm really excited. This is Ledge. I've got David Cicerelli today with us. He's the founder and CEO of Voices.com. David, Welcome. Love to hear, you know, your introduction of yourself and the business and, and then we'll dive into the details. Well, sure. That's great. Thanks for having me, David. And and like, you know, founder and CEO and Voices is a, an online marketplace and we connect businesses with professional voice talent and audio producers. So like many people out there, you've probably been told you have a great voice and little did you know, there's a whole career path. These are people who do voiceovers for commercials, internet videos, narrating a documentary, you know, to the mundane phone system recordings and corporate training videos. And so that's what the talent provide. And there's about three, almost 3 million talent at this point on the platform. And then there are the clients who are looking to really tell their story. They have a brand message, could be to educate, inform, or entertain their audiences and so we bring these two parties together, and that is really the the basic of a marketplace. There's lots of freelance 
marketplaces out there, but we just found voiceover and kind of the audio creation space to be interesting and, and unique. And so we're trying to lead in that in that area. And I mean, this is a hot topic now. Uh, you know, it's a, almost a tailwind probably in the last couple of years for you all, just on the idea of, wow, so much has moved to video and audio. And yet you started this in 2005, as I, I saw online. So I bet that's been an interesting path and journey. I mean, gosh, so much. I mean, that was that was baby level internet, you know, back then. And I have to imagine you've learned a, f- a few things about marketplaces and just the, the whole space for it was pretty weird back in 2005 to hire anybody online to do do anything. I, I don't even know where to start with that. But I, man, take me back to the, the kitchen table days. Like why in God's name in 2005, would you have even thought of this? Well, I mean, most most founders, uh, you know, try to in some ways kind of scratch your own itch. You know, it's usually some problem that you have. I mean, growing up, I was fascinated with uh, with sound and producing music. I, you know, played piano, played drums. You know, I was the guy running the, uh, you know, the audio equipment at any venue or event I could get my hands on. And so I actually wanted to pursue that as a uh, educational path. And I went to an audio engineering school and graduated and opened up a small recording studio of my own. And actually, it was on my birthday where I got my name in the newspaper in the business section and introduced me to the local business community. And I realized, you know, kind of the one, the power of, you know, publicity and telling your story. But that actual sh- short story uh, ended up having some some in- inquiries from potential customers. There was a, a hair salon that wanted some radio commercials done, an event management company that wanted some phone systems uh, greetings. And it turned out that actually I had also met Stephanie, who's now my dear wife and co-founder in the, in the company. She, at the time, was a, a singer. She'd sing at weddings and funerals and uh, she's a classically trained singer. And her mom read that newspaper article and cut it out for her to record her singing repertoire. So she came into the studio and uh, we did that work and then really hit it off. But because I had these other gigs that needed to be done, I asked her, hey, do you think you would mind? You got a great singing voice. Have you ever done voiceovers? They're looking for a female voice. And so we ended up working together and kind of uh, on those couple projects. And that was really the genesis realizing rather than you know producing music what if we could if we could continue to work together i put up a very primitive website as you said back in 2005 people weren't exactly you know there was no wordpress there was no wix there's no content management systems a cms you have to hand code the whole thing yourself and so i took out books from the local library to, to teach myself in effect how to do that and i put up this primitive website that showcase Stephanie as the one female voice talent. And soon that actually attracted other freelancers, you know, men from New York, guys who spoke French in in, uh, Montreal and Quebec, you know, animated characters like cartoon voices, if you will, in LA, celebrity impersonation folks, and they all wanted to be on the website. And we always just said yes. And we just uh, listed them. And that was really the genesis of having kind of building up the supply of talent, available talent. And, you know, concurrently, there would be clients that would say, how do I get in touch with these people and hire them? Because it started as just a directory. And we would, you know, facilitate these connections, Stephanie and I. And that really became, you know, and evolved to what it is now today, this kind of 
full-fledged you know global marketplace with uh, with really millions of users from around the world uh, and so it's been a lot of uh, lessons learned along the way but you know really just trying to uh, you know embrace our areas of passion as as co-founders and likewise try to help other people kind of pursue their dreams and, and passions as well yeah that's uh, that's fantastic like the, the hardest thing and for anybody who's looking at building out a marketplace business model is that you have this dual-sided problem. Nobody comes to a marketplace unless there's stuff to buy. Nobody wants to be in a marketplace unless there's someone to buy from them, right? So you have this idea that what ends up happening in many cases is a business like, like that needs to heavily invest and sort of subsidize the supply side build. And that's like, you know, so you build a shopping mall and you kind of have to work really hard to get a bunch of stores to anchor that or be there or no one's going to come shop. I guess that that becomes less and less relevant these days as a metaphor. Uh, soon we'll have to drop that one. But yeah, that's interesting that you had the organic supply side. So you didn't maybe necessarily have to pay to fill that out in the way yeah, that, it's, it, that you would. I, I love um, that you bring up kind of the, the, the dynamics of, of the marketplace. I mean, listen, the most successful B2B companies are either software as a service or some type of two-sided marketplace. And marketplaces inherently have the, the problem you're describing is, you know, what we affectionately call the chicken and egg problem. You know, which side do you start with? So we fortunately had kind of this initial supply side there and it's actually a lot less if anyone's contemplating starting a marketplace you don't need tens of thousands of suppliers or vendors on the on the platform it, it it's it's probably in the few hundred and so we started actually initially just with 20 of people who we'd listed and then that got up to a few hundred of names we were just writing on a whiteboard and kind of organizing because again this was before there was really any software we were hand coding profile pages that could be discovered. And we were hand coding job opportunities that the talent could reply to. So, you know, there's always a low tech way to enter in, but, you know, to, you know, maybe give a bit of, you know, theory and I'm going to say in practice as well too, marketplaces have four components to be successful. The first one is the um, participants. You need both buyers and sellers or suppliers, you know, kind of the supply and demand side. But it, you know, a, a marketplace uh, is kind of a specific kind of platform. Even I would say most social media platforms are, you know, have this kind of participant, people who create content and people who consume content. So you could also think of it that way. But we'll go with the kind of uh, supply and demand aspect of, of a marketplace. Then there's an exchange of information. It could be product listings or service offerings. Um, usually there's some kind of price information, some biographical information, location, availability. These are all critical pieces of information, which then leads to the third pillar of a marketplace, which would be the exchange of the actual goods and services. So more than just listing them, we need to facilitate the exchange of goods or services. Sometimes that's purely online, like Voices.com Voices is purely online. The, the, the parties don't actually interact face-to-face. Whereas in other marketplace, you know, let's say Airbnb or Uber, or um, we have Skip the Dishes or Grubhub, all of these would, I would say, be called O to O. You start online and then you go to offline, right? The experience starts initially online, then moves to offline. And the last one, you know, regardless of what, whether you're exchanging goods or services, 
Then the last one is some exchange of currency. Now that could be you know monetary, like actual hard dollars, or it could be some type of social currency as well too. Whereas you know you would you could argue that you know even YouTube would be some type of platform of people produce content, but then people also of course want to consume it. And the exchange there would be like a view or a comment or lights, some kind of social engagement, which of course the most successful people become influencers in their in their own right. So that's how I think about marketplaces. And that is in effect what we you know call our platform first strategy. It's just think entirely about building up this platform and being true to those pillars. Getting beyond that, it starts to kind of blend like, you know creates confusion in your identity, your product roadmap, all of these type of things. So hopefully those uh, those are valuable for those who either are running a marketplace or kind of just getting that initial traction uh, or maybe contemplating uh, creating one uh, in the future. Sure, sure. And I love the idea of the niche too. I always think that that's really important. And it seems that over time you, I mean, this is a long period, 2005 to 2021 is, that's a whole long time to be in a niche and to not deviate from it. It might have been easy for you and maybe you had pressures over time to, oh, well, we could do video editors and we can do copywriters and, you know, whatever that is and genericize it into uh, it probably sucked a little bit to see like an Upwork or a Fiverr. And, you know, so gosh, these are worth, you know, a hundred billion dollars and they're, you know, kind of trying to do all the things for everybody. And you seem to have avoided that trap, which I think is the over generalization of, of what you do and staying in a niche and kind of owning it. I, I would love to hear some of the strategy or discussions that might have you might have had there. I could imagine you might have been pulled at times to broaden and say, what if we weren't just voices? Oh, yeah, that, that question certainly comes up quite often. And and it does certainly come up in strategic conversations. And you know, let's first, you know, define strategy, right? And strategy, I would say in its simplest form are the set of choices a business makes, right? To be successful. And maybe, you know, to embellish that a little further, it's the integrated set of choices. Often they're self-reinforcing. You do this because it actually enhances or in, in, in embellishes the next choice. So it's the integrated set of choices that a business is going to make that differentiates it within an, an industry landscape. So you mentioned, you know, there's lots of kind of, uh, there's some massive generalist freelance marketplaces out there. And we have opted, you know, how are we going to win is by being, you know, leading or owning, you know, one, you know, this kind of one little vertical market of the world. Turns out as we've done the if you've ever kind of, you know, those of you who have ever raised capital, you end up doing a total addressable market, some kind of an, an assessment of how much business is actually out there. And a voiceover turns out is, you know, somewhere between, you know, four to five billion dollars spent globally on voice and, and, and audio, uh, con uh, the production of audio content. And so that seems like it's a big enough market opportunity that we can keep pushing towards. And so that was, you know, despite the temptation to be there to get into video, my background's in audio, Stephanie's background's in kind of voice and audio. So as founders, you know, we've, we've stuck to, I think, th through discipline, despite having this platform that can be, be many things. Now, the time, if ever, to actually expand 
is not just because a consultant says so, or you, you see somebody, a competitor doing so. In my view, it's because your customers are pulling you in that direction. And so, you know, case in point, we saw over a million dollars of translation work be procured through the platform in the, in the last year. And we thought, wow, well, people are just kind of hacking their way to doing this. They say, actually, I want a voiceover in Spanish, but my script is in English. Can you also translate it for me? And when you see that pattern of behavior occurring enough with enough frequency, and there seems to be kind of like the frequency and urgency of, of those type of requests, that's when you build it out. So, you know, well, I, I'm going to say voices continues to be at the at the heart of the production. You know, it's the little words that are speaking, that are, you know, being spoken to life, if you will. There's pre-production services. Somebody does need to write a script. Sometimes that script does need to be translated. And then the voiceover gets done. And then there's sometimes some, inevitably, some post-production services. You know, it might be editing, maybe removing breaths, maybe chopping the long file into multiple chapters also could be mixing in some music. So we've, uh, we have expanded just kind of a, like broaden the aperture, if you will, just to the degree where it still relates to voice, but we view these as like complementary or adjacent creative service categories that will ultimately result in kind of more activity happening on the platform. But yeah, in, ter in terms of getting into bringing on virtual assistants and electricians and mobile app developers, you know, like the, the likes of Upwork and Fiverr, I mean, they're tremendously successful in their own right. I just think every business needs to ask, where can I win and um, stay within those boundaries? Yeah, I love that adjacent service thing because I, I think of those as you're really providing onboard and or on-ramp and off-ramp types of things that really just are, are at their core about facilitating additional marketplace volume. Yes. So like yes. people can't buy the Spanish thing they want because they don't have a reliable way to know what the words are. That's and, exactly and that, it. that makes a lot of sense. And for, for anybody that's, that's thinking about this, this business model, the way that these businesses are measure is not really gross revenue, it's gross marketplace volume. Yeah. Because like you are essentially a pass through entity for a great deal of money that passes to your your talent or you know whoever that is. So uh, from a investment or a due diligence standpoint, you are wanting to drive up gross marketplace volume. Yeah, uh, which yeah. is that standing for GS, revenue. Yeah, GMV yeah. or GSV, gross services value. That is, I mean, they're really interchangeable. I mean. That the, uh, in terms of the terms, but that's exactly it. It's kind of like the one of the best health indicators of the marketplace because two things, it means you're just getting a lot of throughput and also shows that you can keep transactions on platform as well too. So sometimes, you know, like some marketplaces just don't work. I mean, there's the example of, you know, nanny care or elder care or babysitters. Like once I've facilitated that connection and made that relationship, that's definitely going offline, right? Because, like you only need that service kind of once if it's good in terms of the connection. Whereas hiring creative talent, we find particularly our you know clients in our target market, which would be like at advertising agencies or corporate marketing departments, they tend to want to come back to the talent pool time and time again because they have a different campaign that's likewise trying to reach a different audience or it's just a different need. You're not going to hire the same necessarily hire the same voice talent 
over and over and over for all of your clients at an ad agency. You probably want something different each time. So there's almost this like built-in like hook to bring them back to post another job and hire uh, hire a new talent for that new project. Yeah, you must have gone through a whole lot of thinking and evaluation on you know how much is a safe amount to to rake from the the talent or rake from the client. There's a I don't know, maybe a, a feeling that, well, we don't want to take money away from our creator. So essentially, like the, the bill goes to the, the client on the other side. It's really the same pot of money. But a, a lot of people struggle with this when they're building out a model of that. It's just like, how much can I take before it feels disingenuous? You know, like what mm -hmm. is the value of having created that lower friction connection. I mean, we took mm -hmm. off the need for you to develop your own business because there's a, a flow of work and that's clearly valuable. But that's that's a hard thing to pull off where it's like it's fair to everybody. Mm -hmm. it's, it's one of those weird business things that doesn't happen so much where like it's it's not as much market driven as as egalitarian in nature. There's a feeling to it. And I, I just wonder about, about that. Cause that's a, that's an interesting topic people will go through as they price. So. Yeah. I mean, especially when it comes to, you know, that we were talking about kind of the, the take rate or the transaction fee for, you know, what the marketplace itself is going to earn for facilitating a successful, uh, a successful transaction. And where we've landed on that is actually starting with a philosophy, which our philosophy is our business is built on shared success. And that shared success, you know, you touched, you touched on this, David, which is like fairness, shared success with the talent, because we obviously need the talent who are the ones doing the work and delivering value to that end client. And we also need the client because they bring the work that can get fulfilled. And so it does, and we need to do so in a fast, easy manner where they also feel that the price points are, you know, are reasonable. To be to be perfectly candid, I think we made a mistake initially on this. Despite having this shared success philosophy, we initially started by saying, "Talent, you quote whatever you want for the job. You know, here's the scope of work. You quote." In really kind of a, a competitive bidding type process, it's not always the lowest person that gets hired. I assure you, it is. In fact, it ends up being a bit of a Goldilocks effect where you don't want to be too hot or too cold because if you're too overpriced, well, there's some great talented people who might be 10 or 15% lower, right? Or 25, 50, hundred bucks cheaper. You don't want to be underpriced because that just looks like you, maybe you're desperate or new into the industry or you want that job or just raises other kind of red flags for the client. So it ends up being kind of right within the middle of the range of quotes that come in. But what we originally did was say, Hey, if it's a hundred dollars, which for illustrative purposes, we will add on 20%. So it was like kind of a cost plus approach. The talent understood that we say, you quote whatever you want and that's money in your pocket. What inadvertently happened is it put the constraint on the, on the client who felt like they were paying it. And I love what you said about, well, it kind of doesn't really matter. It's the, the talent also felt like they were paying it. So it was actually the worst of both worlds where both sides felt like they were paying this 20% fee. So we actually ended up shifting it to be kind of more of, I would say, the traditional route where the service provider pays the fee. They see the total quote to the client. They see the deduction of 20%. 
and they see their money in their jeans amount that they're going to be keeping as well. So it's very transparent. It just now doesn't kind of surprise the client at checkout where it's like, oh, it's an extra 20%. Right. Because who uh, loves with, that service fee when you go, oh, look, I got the great deal on the ticket. And now it's 50% more when I check out. Yeah. Exactly. And that was that was just a painful learning experience for us that we just felt like we just couldn't continue. And it was it was pretty disruptive, but I think we skated through it well enough. And that actually helped us by saying to the talent and communicating to the talent, we want you to be successful. So if you want to charge more, then you should charge more. And in fact, we've even rolled out a price recommendation engine to the clients when they post their job. We're recommending that they can get better, higher quality talent if they're willing to set a budget range, you know, kind of one notch higher because it's attracting a higher caliber of person who's time crunched in the rest of it. And the talent understand that because, hey, the more that they quote and we help them find work on the platform, they win, but we win as well too. And the client gets a great talent. So that's what I'm referring to when I when I describe shared success. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you had to deal with this before. Now that's a normalized approach that I think the market has coalesced around in the gig economy, which didn't exist. You know, you didn't have the benefit to do that. I mean, but you know, that's how an Uber driver gets paid. Yes. Or, you know, something of that of that nature. And everybody kind of feels like that's okay. And then you look at, but this this type of conversation still happens all the time, like, you know, tipping on Instacart. And well, we don't feel that we're taken care of. And the minimum fee we get for this or that. I mean, these are very challenging things. I think people sometimes mistake, you know, you it, it takes you so much away from the idea that this is the service we're facilitating and into like, we are a clearinghouse for a, a massive amount of, of transactions and people feel and have emotions about that. You know, when you're transacting people's labor, there's, there's not too much way to get closer to home on that and issues like fairness and trust and all kinds of human stuff you know, comes into that. And uh, you can see that now with the sort of the great resignation, like, hey, we're not going to take it anymore. You know, all the workers are going to go and do something else. And uh, it, it's a fascinating social structure that that underlies this. And, and man, you break that trust one time with your creators and uh, they're probably going to have these days someplace else they can go. That, that's that's exactly it. And, and And, you know, out of the hundreds of thousands of transactions, that we have facilitated over the years. I've, you know, I can say with confidence, we've paid out every single one. There's not a situation where it's, you know, it, listen, deals might've gone sideways, one out of 10,000, one out of 20,000 for a number of reasons. The client, you know, they have to pay up front, right? They're putting their money in, in effect, escrow, where we're holding it as the trusted intermediary, but maybe the, the work just doesn't get completed on time or the talent becomes unavailable. So, I mean, there is a dispute resolution path, but, you know, what's different, if I may, than perhaps, you know, as you kind of used, uh, you know, an Uber or Lyft driver, the service being rendered here, speaking about being close to home, it's somebody's voice. It's part of their identity. So there's this heightened sense of I'm kind of giving a piece of myself away to this client to use it, and they can only use it under certain conditions. because 
if they just, you know, that, that there's some, you know, if they just kind of create, for instance, a, a synthetic voice or an AI voice that then my voice could be replicated. Well, I need to be paid a super premium for that job versus something that is unable to be replicated in, in different ways. But the, yeah, it's, it's certainly complicated. And I think that's like, you know, the benefit of having great creating a sense of community that goes beyond just the marketplace or having, you know, other great practices like a customer advisory group where we can bounce these kind of ideas off early to our absolute best, you know, best meaning kind of power users, most engaged on the platform and, you know, get their feedback and say like, and not just the technical change, but also the like how we're going to position this. And here's the words that are going to show up online because we're not asking them to be advocates, but we're just trying to get an early read on will there be an adverse reaction to this or is everyone going to go, oh yeah, makes makes total sense to me. Um, that's consistent with, with what I've experienced elsewhere that, you know, that we can breathe a sigh of relief and kind of then push out to market. But yeah, no, no easy answer on those. So it, it's like, just don't make the decision on that kind of thing in a silo or even just surveys, anonymous surveys, well, you know, trying to test willingness to pay. Well, it's only once you put it out there in the market. And so the closer you can get to that in by their speaking to customers, I think we'll hopefully avoid some mistakes over the years and make for better decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. I mean, uh, that voice of customer and then a voice of provider, a voice of creative, if you will, you know, is, is a unique challenge where, you know, like many people might have like, well, I just need to care about my customer. I build a business around that. You have constituents on, you know, sort of both sides of the fence. And, you know, it, it kind of makes me wonder if sometimes you don't feel like the, uh, the homeowner association president and no matter what the rule is, somebody's not going to like it, you know, and, and just, you know, you're, you're trying to work the broad average or hopefully better than, than the average. And uh, maybe it doesn't suit everybody. And, you know, eventually, uh, I don't know, talent gets big enough. They can say, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm a hotshot. I'm, I don't know, Ray Porter, and I can have my own website. I don't need, you know, voices.com anymore. It, it, it happens. Um, Talent yeah. absolutely graduate off the platform and that's fine. And that's, that's like a, that I would consider that a success. Of course, we would want them to, to stay on the platform that we have, I mean, talent who do well in, into the six figures and have stuck around for years because they've just mastered it. And they, I mean, they reply to all the opportunities that kind of come their way. And then there's people who are aspiring and just kind of entering in in the space but you're right there's because of the two distinct customer groups the buyer and the seller you know their needs are often like diametrically opposed the talent in this case wants to take as long as possible it's their art it's their craft it's their livelihood um, so they want to get it right there's an artistic element but they also want to be paid well for it and then on the other side you have the client who's Sometimes at a small video production company where budget's a concern, they want quality, but they're concerned about budget, but they need it really fast. So you have to navigate these when every product feature you build actually has an impact on the other side of the marketplace. You can't just say, oh, we want to enable be able to search by city. Well, if you didn't enable that city field for people to put in their profile, you know, you always have to start with making sure the supply side is there first before, which I think we kind of touched on at the beginning, but yeah, before you can enable the demand, the supply side, in this case, the talent need to be totally bought in 
um, and understand why you're doing what you're doing, which in most situations kind of comes back again to this notion of shared success. We actually want you to win more jobs on the platform. So this is, you know, we'll, we'll walk you through, but that that's, it's kind of always ends in that punchline. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. So you went from yourself and your wife, you know, kitchen table business to some hundreds of employees, I guess now, you know, 16 years later, you were in an audiophile and, you know, probably didn't set out with uh, CEO, you know, ambitions or knowing what that even was. Was there a discernible path of education that you took along the way to do that or, you know, sort of learn as you go or, you know, what combination of things. I think you can learn some management and leadership. You can consume it. And, you know, some of it just comes from hard knocks and, you know, well, I'm not going to do that again. But I just wondered, you know, what, what's that look like? Because as a, as a passionate practitioner, uh, there's a lot of people that end up running a business where they began, you know, sort of as a, a person that loved the craft. Uh, it's hard to learn business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's so multifaceted as well, too. It's not, you know, you're learning every function, every discipline, and then you need to keep learning it again as the business scales because there's just new challenges that are reintroduced when you go from two people to, you know, 10 to 20 to 50. There's almost these like stages of increments. Same thing in revenue, basically. Yeah, every 10x is a totally different Every business. 10x, yeah. Every yeah. kind of five to 10x, it's just a completely yeah. different different ballgame. And so I think for that, for me, I mean, the first thing would be I listen to a ton of audiobooks. Uh, actually, I, I do enjoy podcasts, listen to a lot of uh, podcasts. It's really more kind of depending on the setting. Or if I, you know, search a very specific kind of challenge that I'm having, I usually try to find an audiobook or a podcast. And then I go deep on that for like, maybe 30 day sprint, like a learning sprint, uh, if you will. And so that's kind of like the first you know, approach, I would say following that, I've had the, you know, I'd say good fortune of being able to continue through like executive education programs, um, through be it at business schools, or, you know, a couple of, uh, again, the you know, Canadian government had uh, launched this, what they called a soft landing program, basically, they took high potential tech, Canadian tech companies and entrepreneurs and dropped them in Silicon Valley for three to six months, same thing in New York City. So I lived in the Valley for six months, lived in New York for six months, I think. And then they kind of paired you up with mentors. So I, I think it's like having a you know disposition of being a lifelong learner and being able to willing to pursue those opportunities is, is the right way to go. And then, of course, surrounding yourself with great people. I mean, you learn pretty early on, you're not going to be you know, you, you might have pulled it all off, you know, me putting hacking together a few static web pages. But, you know, beyond that, you know, it's it's kind of enough to be dangerous. And you realize you're actually probably more dangerous, you know, touching any code, that's for sure. Or same thing with accounting and finance. So I think it's, you know, having a degree of self-awareness to know where your limits are, but also your passions. It's like, do I really want to spend a bunch of time learning something that, I actually only need to be like, what what degree of, of depth of knowledge do I need to speak intelligently about a topic or understand the mechanics of an income statement and a balance sheet? Is that going to be sufficient? Which it is, and I probably don't need to go into understanding the detail of how to make 
you know, every single journal entry that results in that summary. So I, I think that's, I think those are kind of the, 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 it's more of a mindset of like the continued learning and picking a topic every now and then, and, and just going deep on it. Cool. Cool. I love that. How, how well, is that? Is that the same thing with you there, Ledge? Is that how you learn? I am a voracious consumer of all kinds of content. I actually don't spend a lot of time in, in business books. So I have found my brain works better by saying, you know, I'm going to brute force innovate this and then I'll figure out what somebody called it later. Now, my, your version's probably faster, but you know, I, I'm an explorer by nature. So I go, I'm going to figure this out myself and then go figure out what somebody named that and go, oh, well, that would have been the shortcut. So I'm the guy that wanted to do the, the calculus by hand and then get the calculator. So, <laughs> But that's just curiosity, though. That's something that I think that's a really uh, rare and admirable trait of being that curious to, you know, probably wanting to understand the why of how we got there, not just the outcome. Um, so um, to each their well, own, that's good. It's certain the way to end up with no hair. I, yeah. <laughs> I have done everything the hard way. I'm not, yeah. I'm not always sure it wins, but you know, I, I definitely can say that I've worked every function in every business and I'm still going in. I just did it last night, you know, years later, the commission building spreadsheet monster that, that I put together, I go back in and say, Oh, look, we need a little formula upgrade on that. And there's no, it's like almost like touching your website code. Like there's simply no reason I should be doing that. But once in a while, I just want to get back in the weeds, you know, let it do well, a little you want to make sure it's, it's, it's working as expected as well too. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the, it's the old <laughs> adage of trust, but verify. And sometimes <laughs> when you go in to verify, you realize, Oh, there's an opportunity for improvement here. <laughs> you can learn a lot from getting back on the front lines a little bit. And yeah. uh, I do like to do that. I think it, as we grow, we can get ourselves too disconnected from uh, not just from the customer, but just like, what is the work that we even do? I don't want to be doing all that work anymore, but uh, there's a little undercover boss thing. I think that that makes a lot of sense of, you know, I, I got to take the trash out once in a while to realize what that was still like and maybe be honest about the roots. So. Yeah. And, 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 you know, for, for what it's worth, another, you know, uh, I guess, you know, activity or, you know, that I carry out would, it's certainly once a quarter, I'm holding these like skip level uh, reviews. So it's not the re direct report or the VP that, uh, that I work closely with. It's their direct reports. And just wanting to, again, having to engage and have a, have a conversation that is, uh, you know, hopefully unfiltered and a safe place to say, you know, is there a project that you're working on that you wish you could get more traction on? Or is there a gap that you see that, you know, needs to be filled? And what are you thinking about for the next year? Uh, and so I think that's a similar type approach of getting closer to, you know, the work being done and the customers that we serve. But the, you just, you have to throw yourself into it for kind of those type of uh, forking it, forcing mechanisms and a, and a skip level meeting is, is one such example. That is, that is a good tool. Absolutely. So, okay, we're going to run out here. So I always like, I like to do the futurist couple of minutes there, you know, so put your hat on about the next couple of years, uh, your, your own personal thoughts, maybe some macro thoughts, you know, where, what should people be thinking about and what are you thinking about? 
Well, I'm, I'm definitely very bullish on the audio space. I think for years, people have you know been kind of glued, and especially over the last couple of years, really been glued to the screen. And whether it's you know an individual or an advertiser, I mean, we've just exhausted the eyes and we're moving on to the ears. So, you know, I think I think there's a ton of really interesting audio content that allows people to go deeper with the personalities and brands that they follow. So that's kind of one thing. I think longer form, richer audio content, uh, also in a variety of contexts. You know, audio affords mobility. It affords accessibility in a way that video doesn't. Audio in the car. I mean you know apple kind of in the car is good other you know you know audio experiences in the car are good i think um these type of audio applications will just get continue to get better so that's uh, also something i'm excited about and we're really just trying to take the place of being that enabler you know as a marketplace we we, we facilitate the connections of people who create that content so that's something that i'm excited to continue to do because i think it's a uh, from both all of our research and all the trends that I'm seeing, I think we're in a great spot for uh, for continued success with our community that we serve. I, I love it. This is exciting stuff. Thank you, Dave, for all the insights. If anybody wants to get in touch with you or the company, what are the best ways to do that? Yeah, well, hopefully this is uh, helpful. I appreciate being here. You know, if there's a quick kind of personal question, happy to always answer directly. And email is just david at voices.com. And I'm lightning fast on replying to that. And then, of course, our company, if there's a project maybe that somebody has in mind or wanted to work with a talent or you are a talent and thought, hey, I, I want to take a crack at this, just signing up for free on Voices.com is a, a great way to get started. Thank you so much for, for coming out. Really enjoyed the conversation. Right back at you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.